0: it is to be champions
1: oklahoma welcome to through the keyhole and ou football podcast i am peyton guthrie one of your hosts uh joined as always by matt brady and allen uh before we really really dive into this i want to say thank you to our title sponsor vanessa house and also thank you to spirit shop in norman uh for sponsoring this great fantastic podcast uh talking about oklahoma football uh as well. Remember Oklahoma now has allowed the Oklahoma uh, state Cowboys to get their 20th victory. It's sad day, sad music. Poor Judd is dead. The whole, the whole thing. It, 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 we're, we're, in shambles over here. We're shaking in the boots, but uh, I want to jump straight into it. Uh, no, no, no more pleasantries and stuff. Everyone knows who we are. Alan Brady and Matt. Uh, I, I know, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh Matt and Brady had the no cap recap on Bedlam. If you guys haven't had a chance to hear that, go to patreon.com slash through the keyhole for just $4. You get all of the cool stuff and you can listen to everything for an extra dollar you get some film review stuff. Uh, but Alan Bedlam, Oklahoma did not play well. They <laughs> had uh, three turnovers, multiple far, uh, false starts uh, that really just kind of kill drives. And then if you really want to check out OU Twitter, you would see that basically every single play that happened was obviously shaded and and judged unfairly <laughs> by the refs. <laughs> uh, but uh, what's your general overall thoughts of this Bedlam game over it? That was uh took place over the weekend.
2: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, from the beginning, while we can all recognize with this team that, you know, the entire coaching staff has done a pretty good job of raising the overall talent level from where it was a year ago. Um, this team is still, uh, not so much more talented than everybody else on the roster that it can afford to, uh, you know, make all the kind of just boneheaded mistakes, um, you know, that, that it made, or to play as sloppy as it played, uh, in, in, at different times throughout this game. Um, you know, I always look right away, especially in cases of upsets. I always look at turnover margin. Um, the three that OU had were not just, um, I guess, you know, not just turnovers, but in some cases, they were just killer. I mean, the the one in particular, the final one, snapping the ball off of uh, Gabriel's, I guess, foot or what have you. Uh, the, with with the kind of field position that left OSU in same going for uh, you know you look back at the Kansas game where um, you know OU gave Kansas the ball at one point right inside I think inside the you know right around the like plus territory forty yard line they also had a pick six I mean those are the kinds of things you just you really cannot do um and so you know those are kind of like the what i call like the proximate causes of the losses here is you know the those turnovers uh you know we can talk about other aspects of the game too but that and uh you know a 15 yard penalty on the bench i mean who's who's to say how much that really um hurt necessarily hurts or contributes to another team you know, having a successful scoring driver, what have you, but it's just so sophomoric on the part of OU's coaches, and um, just the kind of thing that in you know in a in a game where it's tight, like those are the kinds of things that you, you just it it does not speak well of the of the overall you know kind of vibe on the uh, on the from the sideline or the you know professionalism. I thought. About that.
3: Hey, I want to talk about that real quick, because I actually, Matt, you'll remember, I was super pissed off at Brent on the no cap recap about that. And really, like when OU got flagged for it, I think watching the game live, I probably threw my hat down and like stormed out of the living room and just didn't see whatever replay they showed. And so I never really saw what happened. I just assumed Brent lost his mind like I did, and then got flagged for it. And then I just remembered last week and just thought, like you did, Alan, pretty sophomoric on his part and not head coach material. Then I saw Dylan Buckingham's uh, clip um, today on Twitter of what actually happened, and I'm sorry, I I'm <laughs> that was that shouldn't have been flagged. Brent didn't go out to the numbers. He walked up to the guy and made the pass interference gesture and unless he called him a very very bad word or something or some racial slur which which would be weird but unless he said something like that I don't know why he got flagged other than refs are just looking for OU coaches because of a reputation that they have earned at this point Uh, but I mean it was really no different than what Mike Gundy did like both coaches did what you see a zillion times on a Saturday You're watching right. college football. Um, I, I hold Brent to a high standard, and I think you should be smart as a head coach. And I like I agree with a lot of that. But after I saw that clip, I'm sorry. I don't really know what you expect any coach or any head coach to do when he feels like he needs to argue a call because it wasn't anything overboard. That's we would have seen Bob Stoops do something worse in that in that regard.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that that's fair. Now, the problem – I guess the problem being here is we can say, okay, that one was over the line on the part of the, the officials to give him a flag there. But the problem is he just got one the week before – or not him, the OU bench just got one the week before. Uh, I believe they've had a sideline infraction where that cost them 15 yards at a different point throughout the season. So it's kind of like, okay – you know it just you know i don't know if it's a reputation thing or whatever but you know when it's when you've gotten three now in one season it's i don't know i mean you know it's the kind of thing where okay should he have been flagged for that specific one maybe not but you know like it's just kind of building if that makes sense you know what i mean
1: Uh, That's what I was going to say. I mean, at this point in time, it's reputational because, like, Brady, you and I were at the SMU game, and that's the one that got the sideline infraction, I believe, because I believe I was in the stands for that. But
3: you got one against Cincinnati, too.
1: Yeah, one against Cincinnati, yeah. So, I mean, the issue becomes, hey, that flag was more than likely a deterrent. Of like, yeah, you don't get a warning because you've been doing this all season. Like this is this is your deterrent is the penalty. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's not fair and all that type of stuff. And I know Eddie what he shared the tweet of, you know, Mike Gundy is like, oh, if Brent would have taken his sunglasses off, he doesn't get flagged. <laughs> but I mean, the issue is Mike does have a reputation. Mike has skins on the wall. Mike's been around. I mean, that's why. You know, again, Big Spurs fan, Greg Popovich can be kind of an asshole to everybody, you know, at certain things. Obviously, that's much different levels of success in that point in time. But, you know, we've all seen Matt Campbell literally melt down and lose his mind, you know, against Oklahoma. Like, embarrassing levels of continuing to do this stuff. And he doesn't get flagged for it, and Brent does. The thing that makes me, <clears throat> at least where you see growth, is that the moment that flag gets retossed in the air, Brent shuts his mouth and walks away. He doesn't bark back at him. He's kind of shakes his head and just goes back to the sideline. He's like, okay, I fucked up and then went back and that's it. So I'm, I'm happy to see that he didn't keep going crazy, but I don't think there's anything, unless it's purely the refs say, Hey, we need to watch out for this because OU does this. Like they crowd the sidelines are in there. You know, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a basketball team that fouls a ton or or just like a bunch of like shady stuff, you're going to be on the lookout for it. So I'm assuming that has to be some sort of reputational thing that the officials do look out for. And at that point in time, I know it's silly and funny. and We tease everybody, but, you know, pay somebody 55K a year and just say, hey, your job is to hold on to Brent's belt. (laughs)
3: Yeah. And we also don't, I mean, if we're going to get the benefit of the doubt to the officiating crew for such a quick flag in an instance where it didn't really feel like it was warranted, we have no idea if they were warned during the game and not in a, in a penalty situation, but maybe like during a TV timeout, like, Hey, would y'all back the fuck off the field or the next time we're flagging you, if that's the case and we're never going to know this, but if that's the case, then yeah, shame on Brent for even approaching the ref in that instance. But Again, just seeing it as it was without any added context just really kind of gave, you know, more fuel to the fire. Oh, the Big 12's out to screw OU. I don't really care about that because OU shouldn't be in a position to let the refs screw us in the first place. We should have ended the Kansas game in the third quarter. We should have ended the OSU game in the third quarter as far as I'm concerned. So that's on us ultimately.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's the side of it. I mean, Matt, from your side, I mean, the franchise, the flagship, I mean, is, is is the franchise is the uh do you guys have I mean, how much have you guys been milking this bedlam stuff i know i know ryan <laughs> was talking about um the rolodex you know he the post game versus the press conference on the roll into that and brent's tone, tone kind of shifting from that perspective you know it, it, for those the uninitiated i believe and uh, y'all correct me on here <clears throat> brent had his uh his coaching talk show yep uh and he said yeah we probably have a rolodex of uh of a uh, place in which we would have called uh, differently that we would all like better than that and then on his press conference today that was brought up and he was like hey on the sense, I mean on the on the, on, the, on the West Virginia like well I'm just not answering that uh what, what sort of tone shifting do you, do you see there is that purely him saying okay I I threw a coach under the bus a little too hard and now I need to backtrack yeah. off of that
0: uh I think that's a little bit uh I also think it's kind of human nature. To, like I mean he's around on the coaches show he's talking to Teddy Lahman, a guy that he's known for a long time and you know played for him so he's gonna feel more comfortable opening it up a little bit more to Teddy in that sort of situation where Teddy's sitting right next to him and he's not at a podium you know answering questions from reporters that he doesn't talk to on a daily basis or has any sort of like real relationship with Uh, so I think that's a little bit of that but I also think that it, it, I mean, it did get talked about a lot after Brent said that last night and it does come across as, yeah, that was a, that was a bad play call and not one that we should have ever called in that situation. And I think that's probably just Brent just being like, like you said, just kind of threw it under the bus. Everyone kind of already knows my stance on it. That's it. Like I think he just wants to move on from it. Uh, but I do, I do think there was, there was truth in that last night, you know, listening to it. Um, I think he, he spoke his mind. He he told, the, he told the truth and I think he just wants to kind of move on from it. Basically as a, I said what I said, now let's move forward.
1: Brady, you, you've been, been pretty uh, fiery on, um, you know, between the two of us is about some of these coaches performances and the coaching staff's performance, stuff like that. Do you think, you know, Brent being this critical publicly, you know, I mean, you, to me, that's a, pr- that's a pretty pr- critical public statement about your offensive coordinator a- a- and beyond saying, like, Jeff Levy called the wrong play. <laughs> I mean, do you think that is an either or on, you know, who Brent is as a coach in, you know, context of the University of Oklahoma? I know you, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Brent may not be up to the, to the challenge of it all, but basically how this goes and, you know, these next few games will weigh heavy on that. I mean, does this sway you one way or the other?
3: I mean, ultimately what's going to sway me is just going to be the results um, of what happens over these next three weeks. If, if OU is able to beat these next three teams, which are, you know, on paper and even a little bit on the field, three significantly worse teams than the two teams OU just played and lost to, um, That will show me that, okay, like just like Alan said at the beginning, like this coaching staff has elevated the level of talent, the level of production that you would expect uh, coming from what they inherited. Um, That would kind of further home that sentiment if they're able to knock off these next three opponents and whatever happens after that happens. Uh, What Brent says in the media, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's so odd because we're learning so much about him every single day and it, it feels like the expectation compassed is just ever since day one has just been spinning. It hasn't really been consistent. We don't really have a beat for what to expect year in and year out. Obviously this is his not even finished his second year. Um, but we're going to find out a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is about as close as you can get to interpreting a head coach um, hating on his, offensive coordinator, but I mean, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people kind of watch OU football under Brent Venables and kind of get the, uh, the idea, or they kind of get the feeling that is Brent just defensive coordinating while he's allowing Jeff Levy to offensively coordinate. And then the result equals thus, um, that there's some merit to that. We're all still trying to decide is Brent Venables a good head coach? Is he a good game day um, head coach, I think he's made a lot of great adjustments in game. I don't know how much of that has been offense because we don't have those little anecdotes of Brent getting in Jeff Levy's hear, ear to say, Hey, run the ball, like Bob did with Lincoln, or, um, I, I guess Bob did a handful of times with Josh Heipel and told him what offense he wanted to run. Like we don't really know what Brent wants to do offensively from a head coach standpoint right now. So we're going to find out, but, um, I think Brent's probably just feeling a little bit of criticism. I think he's I think he's just per, like personally feeling the criticism because when you have your unit which is his defense stop the opponent six consecutive drives in the meet, in the heat of a game after like you know each team is kind of absorbed and and taken or given out their initial offensive punch the game's kind of settled down and you give up and you don't give up six consecutive drives of um, scoring. That should be enough for you to get the offense going and ta- put your foot on the gas and separate yourself from your inferior opponent, from the team that has less talent than you. And two weeks in a row, that has not happened. And so I could imagine Brent personally is just like, ultimately, this is all falling on me, but this really shouldn't be the case. This this isn't what I envisioned when I hired Jeff Levy. Um, it's, it's not supposed to be this inconsistent. It's not supposed to be this scoreless. We have the talent. Dylan Gabriel is a good enough quarterback to do this. The running backs, as inconsistent as they play, they are good enough to run the football forward. And the receivers are good enough. Drake Stoops had a hell of a day. Jaleel Farouk dropped a ball or two, but he still almost had a hundred yards receiving. Like he played to win. So you just can't tell me that, oh, run two more yards and execute. So I kind of think Brent's feeling the criticism, but honestly he can say anything he wants to, to make us all feel better. Really what matters is go beat West Virginia because I think they'll win. I want them to win, but until they fucking do it, I'm just, I'm kind of under the impression, like, is it going to be another journey on Saturday against a bad team? Is it going to be even more of a journey in Provo? And then who cares at that point after, um, after those two against TCU. So just go out there and win and then take care of your, offensive problem in the uh, off-season. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game, come see us at the corner of Main and Barrie, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store.
1: Yeah, I mean... All four of us here had our preseason predictions. Uh, Three of us predicted Oklahoma to be 10-2, and which is still very much so on on the table for Oklahoma against three teams they should beat. Again, they should have beaten Kansas and Oklahoma State themselves. So how much this should really play into that. All three of us had Oklahoma uh, going to the Big 12 championship. I believe three of us or two of us had them winning the Big 12. So, I mean, obviously – crazy things would have to happen but that's still technically there's a mathematical chance but 10 and 2 still very much so alive for oklahoma you you beat three you know middling teams at this point in time uh and kind of move its way that way three teams that all present different issues and different challenges for oklahoma to face but maybe what what alan said was this team looked to be or maybe we thought it was more talented than it really was at then, you know, then what it really was in the moment you had a one or two injuries, things start falling apart, you know, and I've mentioned it. And, I, and again, I hate doing it. I mean, number 26 on defense. I you mean, know, he's, you know, it's just I don't want to go on picking on directly on, on direct people, stuff like that nature. But uh, Alan, I do want to ask you from this perspective, you know, Jeff Levy is getting a ton of criticism, obviously, from the fan base. I mean, it's, they're losing their mind about it. And then you have people like Bill Conley, friend of the pod. <laughs> uh, Bill Conley, friend friend of us, I would say. Uh, I have I have his book that's signed by him. You know, best best football teams of college football, stuff like that. Uh, who are really kind of pointing out, hey, the offense is fine. The offense is performing really well. If you look at the numbers and the really the big issues that the defense has gone, kind of gotten crazy. It's like they're allowing big plays and stuff like that. And there are people who are trying to be the quote unquote voice of reason. What are your... Because, again, I think the defense is what the defense is. I think it's trying to overcompensate for bad situational football by the offense and it's being left out to dry to a certain degree. That said, the safeties are allowing too much to happen <laughs> behind them. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone you would have to be blatantly you know, lying to yourself if you didn't agree to that, in my opinion. Uh, but do fans have like a legitimate case other than just the Art Briles stuff, creepiness of it all? For this Jeff Levy offense at this point in time. Do you think there's something to be said about the statisticalness of the success of OU offense versus our our own lion eyes?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that from what I've seen, it's kind of one of these deals where it's like ninety percent of what the offense does is actually really, really good. There are instances where the 10% is like, let's say out of the 10%, the 5% of that is catastrophically bad. But, you know, I mean, turning it over in bad places or, uh, you know, uh, throwing a pick six or, you know, not converting on what should be an easy fourth down or something like that. You know, I mean, you know, dropping, dropping long bombs that are wide open, that type of thing. And so, like, it's just this, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't think that, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I look at Levy and I think, well, I mean, like I said, 90% of it is pretty good. And that's better than a lot of other offensive coordinators out there. I mean, I'm not sure the, uh, you know, the benefits of of moving on. Now on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, they are, they're falling off. I think that there's, uh, to me, that's, Falling off in the sense that, um, you know the sharpness that we saw early in the season isn't there. I think the pass rush is, is has eroded. Um, but you know, I I think the flip side of that though too is like the defense is a lot better than it was a year ago too. Like directionally, I see it going the right way. Um, you know, I I worry about the offense in the sense that you know, I've been trying to figure out a good way to write this up, but I think that up-tempo offense, as we know it, is dead. And like, there is, I'll explain why real quick. Right now teams have figured out, and they've been doing it for a long time, but they figured out now, uh, you know, if we just, if a player hits the turf, goes down with an injury, uh, that stops everything, right? So, like, that will. There, are, I see all these people complain about like faking injuries and saying, "Oh, you know, like they've got to do something about this." That's impossible because they will never do anything at the institutional level that would discourage players from saying, "Hey, I'm hurt." Right. So if you go out and they say, you know, if you go down with an injury and they say, "Okay, well now you're out for the rest of the series." like there's nothing that can be done like, like players are, are by their very nature going to not be so quick to be like, I'm hurt. You know what I mean? Like if the very first time it happens where a players gets hurt, doesn't go out of the game for that reason. And then the injury gets worse. They have a big liability case on their hands. That's the way that they're looking at this. Right. So these, these up-tempo offenses, if, if tempo is like a fundamental feature of your offense, like it's over for you, your, that your, your career is, you need to find a new line of work or figure out a different way to do this. So the question from, from my standpoint going forward when it comes to Jeff Levy's offense is like if, Levy, I mean, because Levy, you watch his coaching videos, go back and you know see what he's done at you know different coaching clinics and stuff. Tempo is one of the first things he talks about, and it's constant. So, if tempo is like, like, like a uh, enhancement to his offense, then I think that you know there's still a lot there that's salvageable, right? Like, if it's ninety percent effective, if if you can't just use tempo all the time, then that's salvageable, and you can figure that out. What I worry about is if it's only thirty percent effective or fifty percent effective with uh, without the ability to use tempo. That's where there's a real issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, and it's not only just like the faking injury parts like that. And I know, you know, that's the college football thing ever. Because then what happens is that people who do get legitimately injured, they they're getting booed and all that type of stuff. That's always a bad look. But it's also, I mean, the NCAA itself has already put in rules. I mean, if somebody subs, you have to allow the defense to sub, and they take care of that by, hey, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like the Utah-USC uh, game that I was hate watching. Uh, you know, it's like Kyle Winningham would, anytime USC subbed, he'd wait, 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 and then the two biggest, fattest defensive tackles would just slowly walk off the field. <laughs> it's Kansas, like, Kansas, yeah. State,
3: Kansas State did that to us on a fourth yeah, down yeah. last year.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's baked in. You can't move that way. And, and as you said, if he's leaning on that it, to me, if that's any percent, I mean, it should be like a garnish to your offense. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if we can catch them off guard, get them flat footed, that's fantastic. Like it's taking a while to get their signals in. We can go and move. We can be flexible. We can move, you know, we can be mobile, uh, multiple, you know, you know, I think we all love the 2008 offense, you know, they never got off the field. That's a different, that's different than what Levy's doing obviously, He's just running the same place over and over again and hoping through tempo there's a mistake made or we out, we out execute. It just, he's, he's kind of thinking like that math problem that golden state when they're at their peak would present you It's like, yes, we're trying to make four out of 10 shots, but our shots are worth more than your shots. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's that perspective. That's why that even has a whole mantra score from afar. It's like, you give me enough snaps, eventually we'll we will have a 60 yard touchdown run like eventually we will one of these screens will bust and once that happens we score points it doesn't seem to be something that is we're going to do an eight minute 15 play drive and we're going to end the ball game you know it doesn't seem like that they have that gear now they've tried and early in the season, I mentioned it. I was like, even three and you are taking two minutes now, <laughs> not 30 seconds, you know, and putting OU in bad situations. So there was some some situational awareness mature from from Levy. But I, I just don't know. Uh, Brady, I want to toss it over to you. I mean, you're, you're much more, um, uh, I think you and I are both, are both pretty much done with Levy at this point in time, even with great stats and all that type of stuff. I mean, is there anything for you that's salvageable? out of this um i mean what would you I mean if you were in that seat if you're in you know the ADC seat or, uh uh Brent Venables seat i mean what do you do at this at this offensive coordinator position do you just give him another year it's Jackson Arnold your first year in the SEC you don't need to be switching a new system and all that kind of stuff
3: i i mean i don't think so i don't really see how you can justify bringing him back um the fan base has already like the the goodwill that Brent has earned um, by virtue of being a new head coach, inheriting what he had inherited inherit that entire situation, and then being a former beloved assistant for the most part um, during his time here at OU. Um, for all that goodwill and, of course, gaining a lot more, um, starting 7-0 this season, beating Texas the way that they did. Uh, a lot of it's going away, and most of it has to deal with the fact that he can't really rein in his offensive coordinator or his offensive coordinator just personally is making dumb decision after dumb decision. And so it does get to a point where like, yeah, you don't want to throw a guy under the bus. That's not what good leaders do. Um, But tough decisions have to be made if they're undermining what you're trying to do and they're undermining your potential legacy. And that's, that's creeping up. Um, I don't see why bringing Jeff Levy back in year one of the sec is beneficial to then the alternative of quote unquote, getting a new offense. Cause I think everybody kind of assumes Seth Luttrell is sitting right there. He runs a similar system, but hopefully, really like, and hopefully he just is less arrogant. Because like, I'll pitch this question to you guys. It, it, you know, if y'all didn't listen to No Cap Recap, that's fine. I, I it's fine. But on the podcast, I talked to Matt about how, to me, the problem with Levy more so than the offense, because I also agree, Alan. I don't, but I don't like up tempo, but the biggest problem I have with him is just his arrogance. Him essentially saying like every post game when he gets criticized that, oh, we just need to execute better. They need to do better, blah, 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 blah. That just tells me my system's perfect. You need to run it. To me, that arrogance is similar to the 2010s, 2013, 2014, whatever, where you have just athletically weirdly gifted quarterbacks in Blake Bell and Trevor Knight. One's really fast. One's really big but they both are pretty passing challenge yet. We're still trying to run this Texas tech 40 passes a game. Like Landry Jones is still the quarterback offense. If you have a play caller that just says no, run my system that that will lose you games. That to me is the biggest problem. And that's what I don't want to be a part of the offense is just if something's working, it's not a part of the game plan, but funky things happen and this suddenly is working. Then just keep doing it. The OSU offensive game plan was the same game plan we saw the week four against Kansas, except we had better weather. So we threw the ball more. It was the same bullshit. We didn't run jet suites, but we ran a dumbass play every sixth or seventh play of any drive, but we had the ball that long because Levy has this idea that my system, my play calling, my genius must be realized by these players. But perhaps, Jeff, the players just aren't there yet we don't have the speed on the outside to run sideways like you want to we don't have x y or z like you want to to me it's just we've raised the talent a little bit but dylan gabriel has his limitations i still think he's good enough to win you a big 12 championship or at least get you there but he's still a limited quarterback every quarterback is limited kyler murray was limited like everybody has flaws but to me it's just more of a problem with arrogance i want that gone I don't necessarily know if this means we need to pivot to a boring Clemson-style offense like Brent had when um, um, he was there. Um, I think you have to be realistic. But again, if it's Seth Luttrell or whomever, just don't be arrogant, don't be married to your system, and understand your personnel and what works best, really. like That's what it comes down to for me. If OU's just smarter in that fashion, they're, what, 9-0 right now. No question.
1: Yeah, the, the issue I have, I, I think that will probably be the breaking point, again, do not have any in any, any, any inside sources, in any way, shape, or form, please do not think of this, what I'm about to say is, is indicative of such, is that if you just hear them both speak, Jeff Lebby, that is, and, and Brent Venables, there is an alignment issue, and if we know Brent Venables, there's a word he loves to say, which is alignment, Brent very much saying, hey, this is on the coaches. We have to figure this out. This is on us. We need to put them in better positions to play, so on and so forth. And Levy always says, as, as Brady brought up, the players have to execute. It was right there if they just execute. And the issue is we're nine games into the season. If the execution is still failing on the same types of plays or something, then it's up to you to remove those plays or or something of that nature. You know, I had Adam Lunt on the preview Oklahoma State, and I mentioned that to him. I was like, hey, what happened with Oklahoma State? How did this turn happen? And he said, yeah, in April, Mike McGundy was talking very heavily. Hey, we're going to be a power football team. We're running gap. We're going to run pin and pull. We're going to do that type of stuff. In the first four weeks, they just ran a bunch of zone. It didn't make any sense. Then after the Alabama game, <laughs> South Alabama, let me clarify that, uh, they changed. They went They went from zone, went to that power stuff. They basically found they had five really good running plays, and they just ran those plays. And he's like, well, they just really shrunk the playbook. They said, okay, this is what Bowman's good at. Here's what, you know, let's get Ollie Gordon the ball in these situations, and he's going to be good in those situations. Let's not try to do anything crazy. You know, it's kind of like a – um, I don't know how much we all watch the NFL here. Probably all of us in some way, shape or form, uh, you know, Arthur Smith over in a, I think it's Arthur Smith over in the Falcons being like trying to use his best offensive player as like a decoy of replay. It just, just, just oh. doesn't make any sense. Just give Hell, the good football players the football.
3: I think, I think we all watch the NFL. I don't know about watching the Atlanta Falcons though. Hey, that's, yeah,
1: that's yeah, some hate, yeah, yeah. some, hey, some sicko behavior on, on my behalf. <laughs> I apologize about Very that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is very interesting from that perspective of of seeing how they both talk, how they both initiate uh, with the media and how they both uh, seem to like do the type of mental math it takes them to figure something out or what they believe the solution is. You have one which is much more of a coaching perspective, which is we have to put them in better positions. And that might be a more defensive coordinator mindset. That's something I may need to try to dig into where it's like you know, if you have a safety that can't run deep, you know, you don't put them in those places, you know, something like that was like, Hey, we have to try to hide deficiencies on defense and on offense. It's we're scheming you open. Just do the things we tell you to do. Maybe I'm not for sure. That's just me like spitballing at this point in time. Uh, But I'm not for sure. I mean, that's just kind of where I am at. I I think we're just at, at seven and two, which again, three of us here said 10 and two at the end of the season.
2: (laughs) Uh, And that's the thing, right? Like that's going to color all of this though. Like, yeah, okay. Everybody right now wants Levy gone. What happens if they win the if they win three games here? What happens if they make it to the Big Twelve Championship? What if they win the Big Twelve? I mean, like obviously OU's behind the eight ball in that regard. Yeah. But I, I do wonder what the sentiment will be like. I mean, I'd be fine. I, I I didn't want them to hire Levy in the first place. Yep. So like, right? I think yeah. I think we're all for the most part on board with that. Right. So like, to me, it's like, if he gets another job somewhere else, good. Like I do not I do not want him coaching you you period. You know, I, I would caution everybody though. Like I hear it all the time. Oh, we just need to hire this guy or that guy or this coordinator or bring in this scheme. And it's, it is so rarely that simple. Like it's not necessarily going to be better. A lot of times it's just different. I yeah. we had we had to accept
3: Levy like we had to accept that that hire. I don't know what the alternative was, and that's mainly where my acceptance of the um of him becoming the OC came from. Was Lincoln left us in a real bad spot? Brent is having to build a program on a weird timeline, a, a program that seemingly still has talent despite who's going to soon exit, and so therefore have has these expectations, but also. This program took a huge hit on the side of the football that it was actually on paper good at. You have to stabilize recruiting. You have to stabilize that. Otherwise, this could go south very quickly. So Jeff Levy in that respect, did exactly what he was hired to do. He stabilized recruiting because for some reason, his name and reputation um, was very good at the time. And he helped us get um, Jackson Arnold. And so you hope that if Jeff Lebby takes that head coaching promotion that he's so well deserved. Um, in the offseason, that Jackson Arnold remains here at OU and he doesn't transfer and follow Jeff Levy because then that's you know, that'll be a kind of a careful what you wish for thing. But Jeff did exactly what he was, in my opinion, hired to do, which is just maintain the, the reputation somewhat from Lincoln Riley's departure to keep the offense rolling on paper and in the minds of high school um, juniors and seniors in recruiting while Brent slowly but surely develops the guys on defense and then ups the recruiting on that side of the ball. So at some point we can meet in the middle uh, two or or three years down the road and know he's got a top 30, top 20 defense, and maybe a top 20, top 15 offense. And then you see where that kind of takes you in the SEC.
1: And and just to be clear, if Levy does get a job somewhere, and this is me as a fan, it's going to be like a Texas G5 school. You know, it's going to be if Texas State gets their head coach taken from them, uh, you know, all that type of thing. And if Jackson Arnold wants to go to that level of football at that point in time, Godspeed. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just like, hey, you just never wanted to be at Oklahoma at that point in time what if if it's gonna say, Houston? hey, I'm going to take a massive. What if it's Still a Houston? no?
3: What if it's a Houston level program that's Same technically, thing. technically Same Power thing. Five, technically Power Five, but in the state of Texas? That's I, I'm assuming Jackson wouldn't go with the negative cachet Jeff has earned. I mean, going back to the Art Bryles thing, because that's the thing. People wanted Jeff Levy gone after the SMU game for that performance. And then the Art Bryles thing happened and it made it even worse. And then everybody kind of forgot about it because he asked Dylan Gabriel to run the ball a few times against Texas and we beat Texas. He, for whatever reason, asked Dylan to run against Oklahoma state once, but you know, Oh, well, but. It never really went away. It like really, truly never went away from the SMU game with Jeff Levy. At least it didn't for me. But I'm I'm assuming that that sentiment is shared by the fan base in mass.
1: Well, it didn't it didn't I mean I think Alan touched on it. It didn't change for any of us here on this podcast since they announced his hiring. <laughs> so yeah. I mean I, I'm happy we're having these talks and discussions while OU is able to maintain a winning season. And good on Brent for shifting that focus back to West Virginia. Because here's what Brent has to think of now: I was six and seven last year with a schedule in which everyone thought this year I should win ten games, and I mentioned we would win ten games. I said we would win ten. I mean, the board, he didn't quite he didn't quite say University of Oklahoma football team is winning ten games next year, but he mentioned double-digit yeah, wins, all there. that type yeah, of stuff. I mean, out there. so I mean he now has to focus on that. He has to focus on, I have to get this across the finish line now. I I had wiggle room. I had some stuff I can play around with. And now it's, you know, it's gone. It's how quickly, like if you're running a marathon, which I've done, (laughs) uh, the moment you run uh, under, you know, uh, over your pace for one mile, you're you're kind of fucked. I mean, it's, it's hard to make it up. Like you have to run twice as fast, you know, to kind of get back just to where you should be. Uh, and, and Brent is right there on the line. He's on the pace line, and that's a hard thing to do. You need to live under pace, or if you're a golf player, you know live under par. Because if you're if you're making pars, that's you're one stroke away from being above. <laughs> but if you're constantly under, hey, you're great. You know, and OU was under par for most of the season, uh, and, and now they're right at it from where most of us thought they would be. And and that's something that I, I'm very interested in to see what happens with the program. How, how Brent Venables is able to keep this moving, keep it going, uh, and what are the next steps, if there are next steps. Again, we've, we've got three games remaining. Nothing's going to happen <laughs> this week or next week. The only way something happens next week is if Oklahoma scores, like, 10 points against West Virginia. Uh, that's, uh, and even then, I don't see Brent doing something of that factor. Um, and then you have, like, you know, the inside betting favorite, uh, who's currently potentially already on the staff, who, you know – I don't know. I don't know. Then it's like, well, I don't know. If there is an offensive coordinator position that's open, I would hope that Brent would be able to do a search. But if it's truly like the, you know, the call's coming from inside the house and we're just going to keep everyone here and we're just going to, then it kind of feels like that same panic thing of when Oklahoma hired Brent and it's like, Hey, we're keeping all the same coaches. Brent doesn't have to think about anything you know, stuff like that, where the only hire they had to make was a wide receivers coach because of something crazy that happened, (laughs) you know, so I do wonder from that. Brady?
3: Well, well, here's like the really big question. Maybe I just have this, and if you guys are fine with Brent being the defensive coordinator, you know, more power to you. It's not just offensive coordinator, like what's Brent's offensive philosophy moving forward? Who's the next guy if Levy does indeed go? I'm... (sighs) I need Brent to just hire a defensive coordinator, like a, a good one. I, I'm not trying to sit here and say, go get Jim Leonard, because he's a big name that's available. I don't know if Jim Leonard runs a defense that Brent wants to run. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know enough, and I don't really give a shit enough. I kind of want Brent to just show that he can be a head coach, not necessarily a CEO, or he's just kind of like, I don't care. Just you do that, you do that, and then I'll take all the credit or all the blame, I don't care. But really be in charge. I don't want this to just become a program that that's essentially like Lincoln Riley, but on defense, where you have a genius running the defense. And then you just he, he just basically says, you go over there and teach them how to throw and run the football and then whatever. We'll I'll see you on Saturday. You better do your job. I don't want that. Lack of communication, lack of cohesiveness. I mean, you mentioned, you talked about it, Peyton, earlier about just two coaches on two completely different wavelengths. It seems like when they talk to the media, I don't want that at all. I want, I want there to be a unified voice. And I don't know if you guys listen to West of Everest, but they were very critical. Uh, Lee and Grant, especially Grant, they were very critical about the um, just, you've got, you've got Bob Stoops holdovers on the offensive staff. You've got some Riley guys. You've got you, Lebby's little friends that he hired when he came along. There's just way too much going on. And you see it kind of play out on Saturdays where you have who the fuck at running back to start the game. And then who the fuck at running back on the fourth drive of the game. And Oh, look, it's Dalen Smothers, a true freshman. Who's barely played at all this season in a pivotal moment. Um, It just doesn't seem very cohesive. I want Brent to run a cohesive program, but I understand practically that the biggest issue with this program was on defense. And he probably looked at it and thought, I have to put my full attention on the defense to give us a chance to sniff success in the sec. If we're going to get there in two or three years, but now that the defense seems to be on that trajectory, Maybe take a step back, maybe hire a defensive coordinator so that you can have more of a say on the offensive side of the football, so you don't allow a bullshit play call on fourth down of the most important game of the season at this point to go the way that it did like that's what I want to start seeing, but we're not gonna see that until the situations present themselves
2: right, like the time for like triaging, you know what i mean is is passing right like I think that that's a the way you put it about him needing to like he had to get more involved with the defense because of how bad things had gotten. And it was immediate. It was necessary, but you hope that that phase is over. Right. Like, I think that's a good, that's, that's a really good point.
1: Yeah. And there's something to to be said there. I I don't know how much this is real. I This is some coach speak. I just want to give a shout to Lamont Jones who had a question for a a different podcast or somebody speaking to his press conference. That said, you know, Brent has always said, depending on your practice will depend on, you know, certain game snaps and stuff like you get certain percentages of snaps if you practice at a certain way and things like that. And it does make me wonder this. I mean, obviously, it can't be true. There's just no way that that can be fully true. Uh, But it's like, you know, it's like, hey, uh, due to his practice. Uh, you know, Devontae Barnes gets 10% of the running back snaps this week or something like that. And that's why he was in that position at that one time. Cause like, Hey, we have to make sure he gets snaps because he practiced right. Or something like that. And we do know Brent is a guy of, of codes and ethics. And that's something I'm just tossing out there. I'm not asking for anybody to respond to that one. we move on to the next point. It would just be absolutely wild. If that's why some of the uh, uh, personnel uh, alignments or however they are are, 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 are kind of play out in that perspective. Uh we talked about looking for new uh, defensive coordinators. We do know that someone out west of the Mississippi, further than we are, is looking for their own defensive coordinator pretty soon, with Alex Grinch being uh, relieved of his duties um, uh, out in uh, University of Southern California, and then uh, you know Lincoln Riley uh, backing that up by saying, actually it was the defense that got us a lot of wins uh, over these last three years. So if that's the case, then why did you let him go? (laughs) So it it just seems very strange there. Some of that public talking points and stuff. I'm assuming it's all the uh, everyone has different ways of processing information. Everyone has different ways in which they want to be seen. My assumption of Riley has always been that he wants to be liked by as many people as possible. So why would you speak negatively at that point in time? But Alex is gone finally. So we're online, Matt. We're online. Is this a victory lap for OU fans during this two-game slide? Is this, <laughs> should we just be quiet about it? Or is this kind of like a, hell yeah, we told you so?
0: I would say just – just it, it's a good I told you so. That is, for sure. Um, but from what I've heard, like – and everyone's kind of been outwardly, you know, saying this that has been around Alex Grinch and basically said, like, he was actually like a really nice guy to them and like gave them the time of day and actually like you know would actually have a conversation with people and not like just shun them away basically uh so from what i've heard yeah he was actually not a bad guy uh, but the the whole his whole defense it was just easy to play against i think that, that was the, that was the thing he was just saw it year in year out, got so easy to predict, so easy to call plays against, and just so easy to out physical him. I, I think, I also think if you if you put true serum in Alex Grinch, he would not have wanted Benny Wiley as a strength conditioning coach. Um, but, you know, that was his whole deal speed D, right? Everyone, we want everyone to be fast. We don't need the any 300-pound line, defensive linemen. We don't need those guys. We need them to be fast and agile and stuff like that. But, man, hey, more power to him. Hopefully, from what everyone says, he wasn't a bad guy. So, hopefully, he can go find out his career somewhere else. If, you know, small G5, whatever, go bring yourself back up, you know. But uh, just, it just – it was it was very, very ugly. The last however many years OU and then – the last year and a half at USC it was very very bad also would ask you like do you really think that it was Lincoln Riley that fired him i cuz i don't i think that came that call came from above
3: lincoln probably had his like his athletic director fire him you know it was like hey can you go fire out <laughs> yeah. for me please <laughs> I, I don't want to do it
2: Now here's here's my take on this in terms of just that that part of it the the actual firing is my guess is that a bunch of boosters came to riley and said listen we're not we're not funding any nil or anything like that until unless you get this guy out of here
3: snoop like, dog and will ferrell corner cornered, cornered <laughs> in outside the tunnel <laughs> said look here like,
2: <laughs> but like but like let's let's think about this for a second like i mean riley owns the USC athletic department from here on out. I mean, they owe him like $90 million over the next nine years. So like there is nothing, you know, I mean, if if there is nothing they can do to get rid of, to, to take away his power, he, he is going to be the one calling the shots here. No way. I mean, you know, if an AD comes to him and says, you know, you got to fire your defensive coordinator. I mean, make me You know what I'm like. I disagree. I don't, you know, you, you go fire him. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's why giving these mega contracts to these coaches is so fucking stupid. It's just asinine. But so like the only way then to exert any kind of leverage over Riley at this point is to say, like I said, Hey, you want to keep getting, you know, you want us to pay for all these, you know, guys you're poaching from other programs well, you're going to have to fire defensive coordinator, like in 30 minutes, or, you know, (laughs) we're pulling our money out. Like this is none of this, putting it off. It's got to be done now. Like I, Riley is, I mean, this is, it it doesn't speak well of a coach who has to do this twice in his career in the span of just a few years, firing a coach in the middle of the season. Like that's, I mean, that's just such a poor job of manage of, of management in general. And, I mean, think about from Grinch's standpoint. The last nine months, like, the fact that he didn't get fired at the end of last season has probably hurt him even worse. I mean, because now everybody's yeah. l- looking at him saying, oh, well, Riley didn't just give him a quick hook. He had another year, and he didn't fix it. The problem is Riley. Like, everybody, like, he's doing – He's he has, once again – put all the blame on his defensive coordinator. He's nothing's his fault. This this program is everything about what they're doing. Grinch didn't have a shot. It doesn't matter who the defensive coordinator is there. I'm trying to think, go for it, Brady.
3: I'm trying to think other than Gene Chizik, has there been another major coach and I consider major coach, either the head coach or one of the coordinators, that's been fired recently after a Heisman Trophy winner. Cause like in that time that you mentioned, Alan, like that at, Riley's coached two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks and had one that would have won it. If Joe Burrow had been offered a scholarship to Nebraska, if Joe Burrow was three, Nebraska,
2: three yeah, Heisman oh, three. Trophy winning quarterbacks.
3: Yeah. You're right. Excuse me. Jalen. Well, in that time, cause he, he fought. Yeah. 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 Okay, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if Joe Burrow had gone to Nebraska, if they wanted him, then he's not winning a Heisman at Nebraska. I'm sorry. Um, Jalen Hurts would have just been the unquestioned Heisman winner in 2019. But I'm trying to think, what other team has fired a major coach in the time span of having a Heisman yeah. Trophy winner? So, like, you're right. It just speaks so ill of Lincoln Riley right? that he's, he, he's had to do this twice despite the talent at quarterback and the talent on offense that he's had. And even some of the talent... that USC had on defense. I mean, the talent that USC had on defense, I remember kind of looking at their roster thinking like, I wish we would have had some of the, some of these guys on any of his teams. Cause maybe that would have undermined the coaching, but obviously it doesn't matter because I think the, the main lesson that USC fans are probably going to be uh, very familiar with in the next few years, that it has less to do with what defensive coordinator is running Lincoln Riley's defense. It's more to do with Lincoln. It's just like, I, I The biggest experiment would be if Lincoln had Brent Venables as his DC, but he still had Benny Wiley getting his guy, like lifting weights with his guys. I wonder if Brent's defenses wouldn't be very good. Like here, we want you to do all these very complex blitzes and we want you to be tough and physical. And then Lincoln's like, yeah, well so-and-so didn't want to practice today. So I just said that they can stay home, play Xbox.
0: The thing that's weird though, is that he's, he's writing for, alice grinch so hard that's why i asked that is because like even after the firing he's been like riding for him basically like saying that you know the defense was the strength that OU. you whenever he, like since grinch got there and like and like all that stuff he's been riding for him really hard so that's why he i was, was that- asking like if that was really him and i don't know man it's it's all weird
2: he's he's thinking about the next hire he has to make right now because i think that he realizes that it's going to be hard to get someone to take that job after scapegoating your defensive coordinator to the last two that you've had as your full-time guys uh, in a row. I mean, he's got it. He's dealing with a serious perception problem right now in terms of if you're an up and coming defensive coordinator, like people, people keep saying to me, Oh, money talks. Like just, just throw a bunch of money. If I want to be a head coach and I'm an up and coming defensive coordinator, that's a death sentence to to go out there and coach with him right now. And I think that's, that's the reputation he has in the, in the industry. And so like, you know, not riding for Grinch in this case, that's going to be the kind of deal that really would, I mean, you know, then you're starting to start looking at uh, bringing your rough and McNeil back or whatever, because that's going to be your option. <laughs> Hell he did that for Spencer Rattler.
3: He rode yeah. hard for him yeah. after he had to bench him, you know, he's just, I think some of it is that Alan, that he's calculated and that he's thinking about what he has, to, like the optics he has to set. He's very optically oriented mm-hmm. and that plays into what you say, Peyton, like he just wants everybody to like him. Um, I, I, I think it's partly that. And I think it's just, he just never wants to be a bad guy. He just doesn't want to come off as an asshole, but you know what? Nick Saban comes off as an asshole to some people, but the results speak for themselves and
1: they couldn't be more polar opposites. And I do want us to be cognizant of Alex Grinch. T- to me, this isn't an Alex Grinch thing. I mean, when Riley left, Alex Grinch had to go. I mean, he was going to be fired. I mean, he wasn't going yeah. to be retained. You know, he had to leave. If you guys remember the story, I cannot remember who wrote it. It talked about, I believe, Alex Grinch's brother, who's in like 24-7, you know, health and all that type of stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Y- you need to make money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I hate to put it any other way, but to pay for that type of stuff, I mean, you need to be... In the, you know, you need to be in a fairly salaried job. And after the job he had done in Oklahoma and Ohio State before that, I don't think there are a lot of people beating down his door. I mean, he had to go with wherever Lincoln Riley went, however Lincoln Riley would take him. He was going, he was hooked to that wagon at that point in time. Uh, And now he's going to have to kind of work his way back up. You know, maybe he goes back to wherever as a position coach or something like that, a safeties coach or something to kind of work his way back up the ladder if, if that's possible for him. But, you know, we we have to think, I mean, for him, it wasn't a malicious thing. It was, you know, when a head coach leaves, uh, if I remember right, basically head coach gets guaranteed money. Everyone else's contracts are, as long as that head coach is (laughs) here. That's Mm -hmm. that's how that happened. So, I mean, he had to go or else he was looking at a a major,
2: major, major change. Yeah, I 1 million percent guarantee if he could have stayed at OU, he would have. It just, it was not an option.
3: It actually would have been very nice of Brent instead of, Hiring Ted Roof to just stand there. Hey, Alex, I'm going to do you a favor. We're going <laughs> to retain running, you as... <laughs> you're running a new DC, Brady. <laughs> yeah, we're going to retain you as our DC, but I'm going to run the defense. But in so doing, your reputation will not be tarnished any further. So uh, just just stand there and
1: and yell. All right, back to back to Oklahoma football. We have a ball game. Like Lincoln Riley said, we didn't shutter the program overnight. We still have a ball game going on. West Virginia, Oklahoma's playing under the lights. They're breaking out the alts again, the unity uh, uh, uniforms. Which seeing those things in the daylight was dreadful. I think they're made <laughs> to be played uh, at night under the LEDs. I think this this will be much much better to to watch. You won't have a bunch of fans screaming for stoops every time Freeman touches the football. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I able don't know. To I wouldn't coach. be, I wouldn't be and so that, sure of that. That's true. That's Just true. I guess it. that's probably true. Uh, but now you have a West Virginia team, which again, this may be Neil Brown's best coaching job at West Virginia, keeping himself from being fired uh, so far. <laughs> it's been kind of amazing at that point in time. Uh, Alan, w- what are your thoughts kind of coming into this game? with Oklahoma and West Virginia and West Virginia obviously is going to try to lean on them with their offensive line and run the football. And God help me if, if that, if that quarterback breaks Oklahoma's back again, I'm going to lose my damn mind. Uh, but w- what are your thoughts about uh, how Oklahoma needs to try to bounce back after a bedlam?
2: Yeah, I try to like, like we talked about, I try to avoid a lot of the, um, psychology stuff you know about like i I don't even really like talking about stuff like killer instinct because i don't even know how to describe it right but there certainly does come a point in time where you know a team when a team's uh hopes you know their aspirations for a season when things get really bad or when those are those are dashed like you know it's not uncommon to see teams you know fall apart so like I don't know about my, my expectation, but like the thing is, is that we'll get a pretty good sense if this OU team is into it, you know what I mean? By how they, by how they perform. Um, And, you know, if if it's another nail biter, uh, if they're not really sharp, you know, trying to uh, maybe, you know, separate themselves um, that that'll be a big time problem. And the, you know, again, like, i still I still come back to the fact to the idea though that like they've just got if they just hang on to the ball like they should really not have much problem with west virginia it's the it's the turnovers if they keep turning it over the way they have the past few games like it'll be it'll come down to the wire again i mean like that's just it, it, ultimately that's what it, this will come down to,
1: yeah, I don't know how much that this is um it kind of sparked a thought in my mind that uh, I was listening to a podcast from Training Think Tank, just about a uh, different types of things, and they talked about the violence of sports and how some of these people are more just violent than others. This it had a guy on who was a wrestling coach, basically talking about this, like you're being sur- you're just surrounded by people who could kill you (laughs) you know for for a lack of a better term means like and some are more more prone to use it than others and you don't know why it's just it's just (laughs) something that it's like he's he's really it's like we're we're, you're, you're trying to make these extremely violent people in a society which on purpose and should really degrades or you know downgrades that that violentness in which we're trying to celebrate them for and it causes a very weird juxtaposition via society's uh, expectation versus like what they do to make money uh so you know it's it a very interesting uh conversation at that point in time uh but brady uh i mean you think do you think oh you gets off this gets off the slide here i mean you got west virginia coming in here as the 49th overall via sp plus uh 44th offense 61 defense do you think any of those numbers make sense or matter for oklahoma at this point in time because you know, Kansas had the 88th overall uh, defense, and Oklahoma sure struggled to run the football on them. Same thing for, you know, I mean, the OSU game, they moved the ball fairly well. I mean, if you get 500 yards, you're moving the ball well, but just key moments. They couldn't win a single key moment, it felt like. I mean, do, do any of these statistical stuff matter at this point in time, or is it just, hey, you need to win this ball game? I don't care how you do it.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just going to come down to when the defense presents you uh, an opportunity to take advantage of it. If, oh, you can do that, Um, I mean, I I don't know what a final score will be at this point. I mean, we're going to make our predictions later, but um, it can be a low-scoring game where OU can win, you know, 28 to 10 or something like that, or it can be a high-scoring game where they win 55 to 40. But both those scores suggest that at some point OU was able to separate themselves and give themselves some wiggle room and allow themselves to like all right, if the Jeff Levy thing, if the Jeff Levy factor is going to take place, well, it won't be as disastrous or as detrimental because they have a multiple score lead and they were able to get that because the defense, uh, which has proven time and time again this year, um, will give them opportunity after opportunity to like, OK, go go do your thing. Go go do it. We, we, we forced a three and out. We forced a punt. We got a turnover. We get you the ball back on the good side of the field. Please go do something. I'm confident the defense is going to do the do that. I just want to see the offense string together some boring ass scoring drives in consecutive fashion. It that's really what it comes down to. Um Al, I mean Alan's right, if they just don't turn the football over and there a lot of them are unforced errors. Like you've got two turnovers by Dylan Gabriel that are forced in the respect that Kansas jumped the route, picked it off, caught it, ran it in for a touchdown and forced in that You know, you could probably argue Dylan Gabriel made that decision to throw against OSU because of the pressure. So, I mean, it was a rush throw, so you credit OSU's defense for forcing a bad throw. But it was ultimately a dumb decision anyway because there was a safety back there. But that's what Dylan Gabriel can do. But the vast majority of those six turnovers in these two games have just been because we're going to make a mistake for no fucking reason. And if they can stop doing that, fine. Maybe they score on some of those drives, but also... There's nothing to suggest to me that they would have scored on those drives because the offense has been that inconsistent. So maybe they don't turn the ball over. Maybe they turn the ball over on downs on some of those drives, or they end up punting. You know, And it ultimately doesn't matter, and they they just don't have those turnovers on their permanent record. But it just comes down to whenever the defense, whether it be at the beginning of a game like against UCF where they force four consecutive three and outs, and the game should have been... 14-0, 17-21 14 nothing, 17-21 to nothing It's some, like, early on the game should have been just done. Um, if they do it at the beginning of the game, then take advantage. If they do it in the middle of the game, like against Oklahoma State, then take advantage. If they do it at the very end of the game, like they did against Kansas in those on those two final drives before the, you know, the, the backbreaker drive at the very end, but the two interceptions, those drives... If they do it at the end of the game, then take advantage. The offense just needs to take advantage and stop being stupid. And it's less on the players and more on the coach. So, you know, that's just really what's going to come down to. Take advantage of the opportunities that are afforded to you and that your opponent will probably give you. West Virginia is not great, so they're going to make some mistakes. So when they make those mistakes, take advantage of them. When your defense forces them to make mistakes, take advantage of them.
1: So something I do want to mention here real quick. I think the closest thing we can look at what, to a question you had earlier, Brady, would be Coach O, year and a half, uh, was let go in the year before that Boom. was pandemic. So they probably would have let him go sooner if they could have. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think you're right. To me, and again, this is going to be very hyperbole. I understand this. The following words are going to come out of my mouth. And if I get a, a scoop or like a thread made about me for being this <laughs> this uh, hyper uh, whatever I'm trying to say, uh, so be it. These Hyperbolic. next three games. Hyperbolic. Thank you so much. Uh You're, you're like um, the Game of Thrones character who's always correcting people's grammar. Uh um Crap Stannis, right? Yes. Um These following three games, Brent Venables is coaching for his career at this point in time, in my personal opinion. I mean, you can't... There is an element that is true that. to that. Yes. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, you can't do this at this point in time. And let me put it into a different phrase. Every single... Uh, legacy big twelve or little eighteen beyond Iowa State got a win against Oklahoma. In, their, fi- as in their final printable yeah.
3: well, yeah. in their final home game against OU, um whoever the team was, except for Kansas State and except for Iowa State, the last time they saw OU in their home stadium, they uh they, they walked away with a win. Yeah. Um yeah, that that's it because West Virginia and TCU are Norman and BYU yeah. is a new school, so who cares? And so, I mean,
1: Oklahoma gets, I mean, Brent Venables has to have, is now that's on his record. I mean, these schools got one on you as you're walking out. I mean, and there's, you know, it's almost like a, a retired, a retiring wrestler. Uh, if you I don't know how me, people pick up on that reference. Usually in their last match, they lose. You go out on your back, you elevate the other back. guy. Yeah, you go out on your back. And Oklahoma for the Big 12, has been going out on their back. (laughs) It's it's sad, but that's how it is at this point in time uh, for that perspective. I'm going to say that Sting shouldn't have gone out on his back in WWF. That was bullshit. (laughs) Fuck Vince McMahon. That was a rough match, I won't lie to you, with the Triple H uh, wrestling stuff. so Uh, dumb. (laughs) Dreadful. Uh, We could do an entirely different podcast where Peyton talks about wrestling. Um, But yeah, it's just an old adage at that point in time. But I do believe there is a certain aspect of Brent, I think he knows it. He hears it, and it's like, okay, this is it. Like, I, there is no fucking around. That we have to do this. And Phil Neighbors, if you're listening to this still, our preacher friend out in Grand, Oklahoma, pray for this football team because <laughs> I'm gonna lose my damn mind if we end up going if this team ends up seven and five or something of that nature. Nine and three, well, I can also stomach. My,
2: and there's also my ticket right now on OU over nine and a half. That is you got to do fame. it. <laughs> teetering on the brink so well does I mean, that is
3: that a regular season total or does the bowl game count it's regular well
2: season. it's just regular season no oh, oh title. God. it's
3: too
1: crazy for bowl games you, you wouldn't know who you're playing and all that type of stuff so it's just regular oh,
3: season. of course you, you want some absolutes when you're gambling of course yes. that's right yeah yeah
1: um so yeah let's uh so before we do our score predictions let's widen the scope for the uh, overall wider side of college football Matt, have you picked out a game you want to kind of talk about? What, what game are you looking at beyond just, I mean, I'm assuming you're being the prime time Oklahoma West Virginia ball game. I wonder <laughs> what sort the of highlight package they've got for that game. Uh, but what are you looking at? What, what, do, what do you really want to see uh, out of this week?
0: Oh, man. Um, one I'll kind of keep my eye on. I, th- I think Georgia's going to roll Ole Miss. Um, I, I do like Ole Miss, but yeah. that, I mean, one of my picks last week was um, Ole Miss minus three, and they went. <laughs> from scoring a touchdown to go up 21 nothing to get back getting called back uh for a hold having to settle for a field goal that field goal gets blocked in return for a touchdown so instead of it being 21 nothing it's 14 7 in the matter of seconds and at that moment i was like okay i can never trust lane kiffin or old miss again because i like this is it is shocked uh but as far as like star power yeah that game I'll, i'll definitely pay attention to also like Missouri, Missouri's good. And I wouldn't, I was not expecting that to start the season.
3: I
2: hate that.
0: I know. And I, (laughs) I kind of think they put it on Tennessee.
2: That one's weird. That one's very weird. The number is heading towards Tennessee, I believe, which is, uh, yeah, Tennessee minus one and a half now, which is strange, man.
1: Yeah, just like Mania Coed, co-ed you learn not to trust lane kiffin uh the game <laughs> i'm really <laughs> that's that sorry sorry uh the game i'm going to be looking at so i think it's a stereotypical game it Is michigan penn state i mean the, the entire college football world should be staring at that game and saying okay is michigan for real it's a still silent sign stealing thing and the lord and although there's been some some people saying michigan you know college football needs to hope michigan loses because then they can just say okay now we're done with this now I want them undefeated. I want the game. I want number one versus number two, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, Michigan, like, I don't know, handing out leaflets saying Ohio State was sharing their signals with other schools. I mean, this has been the juiciest juiciest end-season story uh, uh, that I can remember. And it just keeps paying off. I mean, Michigan now leaking materials saying other Big Ten teams shared their signals with other stuff. It's just like... Hell yeah. Like, let's. I mean, you had that one guy making a fake report saying Ryan Day's brother was hired a personal investigator to look into it. According to media sources. Media sources. I forgot. It's funny if that's what that guy's name is. Media sources. <laughs> uh, it's just, I mean, I still believe Red River is the best rivalry game, but Michigan and Ohio State is a different level of 365 that we're just not ready
2: for. <laughs> Well, and like who knew that like Michigan people were so fucking weird, man? Like every post that comes out about this is kind of like, I mean, like early 20th century, like into the breach type shit. I mean, like, or <laughs> either that or like, go for it, <laughs> yeah, or like, I mean, enter, you know, or the Unabomber pit. type shit. I mean, that like, did anybody see the pictures in the Wall Street Journal today of Connor Stallion's house with all the yeah. vacuum cleaners up there? What, like, what
3: the fuck, Alan. I don't want to paint the entire state of Michigan as such, because I'm sure there's a lot of lovely people up there, but I think a good number of them tried to kidnap their governor recently. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. It gets,
3: it's cold up there. There's not a lot, not a lot of stuff to do when it's cold, except sit around and be angry. So, uh, I had to, I didn't I didn't assume that those were Michigan um, alums. That they're they're not Michigan. They weren't but, Michigan. Yeah. They weren't Michigan men. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. God, I can't. I'm sorry, Matt. Say
0: something. Uh, I was just gonna say that. Like where Connor Stallions has a manifesto somewhere, doesn't he? Yeah.
2: No, he, he does. does. No, the... he literally does. It's oh, 600 he does. pages long. Yeah, he yes. does. does he really? The Michigan yes. Manifesto. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. I... Okay. So
0: much has been going on with that that I had completely. You thought not that even was a heard joke. That. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I had not even heard that. Like, not even joking. Yeah. Yeah. Not even, yep. not even it was joking. Like right a,
2: now. It was like a 15 year plan to, you know, have, with him and some cabal of advisors who were going to take over michigan football and turn it into some unstoppable power i'm not
0: even kidding i have not i have not even seen anything that was a complete joke about
2: some of the
1: recruiting stuff is like uh gpa high gpa versus high testing scores and like you would rather have the high gpa students because that means they they're more dedicated than like the naturally gifted high testing people it's like Oh, We're boy. this close to eugenics, like at that point in time. Like
2: yeah. they're, they're yeah. so close. You can just see him like showing up at a recruiting visit, like getting out the uh, thing to measure their skull. Oh God. You know, <laughs> no. My oh, yeah. like, <laughs> no, some
3: the FBI needs to minority report this guy and just go ahead and arrest him because um Yeah, it's one, there. One, one does one does not write a manifesto and not be responsible for the deaths of tens of hundreds of thousands of millions of people. Michigan so. Conf. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God. Hey,
3: what is it with Michigan and that guy, Matt?
0: <laughs> I know. Michigan State shows Adolf Hitler in a game. And then, it, <laughs> and then, and then, and then Michigan has a whole Conf. manifesto. <laughs> what the fuck is happening in Michigan? Michigan. I,
1: I'm, I'm going to have to Photoshop Michigan Conf <laughs> now. Michigan <laughs> Struggle. This it's, is the it's greatest cold. thing I've ever it's heard in my life. It's cold up
3: there, everybody. It's cold.
1: Yeah. Uh, but that will be the game I'm looking forward to, uh, Michigan struggle against Penn State, uh, to see if we can uh, fully get this through. Because like I said, it, Michigan people are weird about it now, and now you've got Ohio State people also being like, trying to compete with how weird they can be. Uh <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, on Twitter as well. It's wild. It's only like there's a a common blogger that we, I mean, Twitter personality that we all know who's a Texas and Michigan fan. I don't know if it can be worse than that. But Brady, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Brady, what's another game you're looking at? And is it a, you know an Ohio game? I mean, an Iowa game. Or are you like a straight sicko now?
3: Oh, well, I'm going to keep fighting the good fight. This is an you football fan podcast. Um, I I don't see it. I I don't, but I'm sure in 2006 when we lost to Texas, I didn't see a path to the Big 12 championship at that point, but Texas lost to Kansas State and OU kept winning and they got better even with an injury to Adrian Peterson. So things can happen and teams can get good when you think that there is just really no hope. Um, So I'm going to be watching Kansas, Texas Tech um, and Texas TCU because if OU can take care of business against, like I said, three opponents that are significantly worse in a lot of respects than the two opponents they just played and lost to. If they can take care of business against them and they get a little help from some friends uh um from Texas Tech or TCU, then you know, I'm gonna be right back on the podcast on the no cap recap saying, like, all right, you know what, we got it we got another chance, second chance. Let's get ke- let's keep this going. So um that'll be exciting for us. It'd be exciting for the fans and um would certainly bode well for Brent considering and there's a large part of this that I agree with Peyton that these next three games are very indicative of what Brent's career is going to be like as as silly as that sounds against teams like West Virginia byu and TCU very 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 important for the program moving forward to take care of business in these next three games
1: Alan I know you've always got an eye you've got like the you've got like six different quad boxes trying to watch all these games what's a game when you're looking at that's uh, that you're circling
2: Oh, gosh. Well, we kind of covered them. I mean, this is kind of a boring slate of games, man. I'm looking over it right now. Uh,
3: Just watch Oregon bury Lincoln.
2: Yeah, that that could be <laughs> that's that going to be, be ugly. <laughs> or, it could be, you know, that that Grinch was the real problem here and they'll, uh, <laughs> you know, come back. I don't think so. I think uh, no, I think Oregon's what was
3: our first game after Mike got fired. 2018 <laughs> after Texas. Was OU. it Baylor at home? No, they played Baylor like early in the season. That's when Kyler had like a billion yards. Yeah, like, he was awesome. Uh, they played, they were at TCU and they won 52 to 27. But yeah, like Lincoln yeah. had, he somehow had Gary Patterson's number. It was a very weird matchup history.
2: Yeah, I'm, the game I'm going to be watching is going to be, oh gosh, did we say Alabama, Kentucky? I'll take, a, I'll do that because uh, Alabama just had a revenge game. And Kentucky isn't a, a, you know, I mean, it's far from a great team. But, I mean, they can do some stuff to really junk up a game and, you know, make it – maybe maybe make it ugly and at least keep it tight and maybe a little drama in that early window.
1: All right. You guys heard it. So let's get our score predictions here. I have not thought about this game, so let me think real fast. You're going to hear me type right now. I've got Oklahoma 31-24. to Allen, give me your score predictions here. What's even What's even the, the odds?
2: Yes, how f- work is this? Does, kill does this? anybody yes. care? Are they 13? Yeah, they're uh, 12 and a half at the moment. Hour no hour no hour way OU's and covering. And There's no yeah. way.
1: I have zero trust in Oklahoma covering the line at
2: this point in time. <laughs> and the over-under is set at 58 and a half. I mean, I think OU wins by 10. Uh, Call it, let's say, 34-24. Oh, shoot All that's right. really lame man that's right on the 58 oh well 34 24 oh you win
1: though. 34 24 and a half there you go <laughs> uh Matt I I'm I'm remembering I'm writing down exactly what you want the score to be so I don't type it wrong. okay yeah no <laughs> <worries>. <laughs> Matt what it's you good. got
0: um man uh, it just it's it's hard to trust the offense right now especially after the last three weeks but uh I was actually gonna go a little bit close I was gonna go 28 24 um just yeah, you know, I, I like West Virginia's offensive line. I, I think they can move o- OU just a little bit. And uh, I'm sorry, Peyton. I, I think you're going to have another heart attack a little bit with Garrett Green. Uh, there, no, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. But uh, I think OU does just enough. And we're all kind of like, yeah, it's a win, but still the same problems.
1: Yeah, I think Neil Brown is going to pull uh alignment and say, run in Canick's direction.
0: <laughs> freak yeah. him out.
3: Yeah, I don't know uh, if he's going to play that much. No. Yeah.
1: Uh Brady. What's your score and how much you have West Virginia winning by?
3: Well, quick quick sidetrack. It's gonna get a little bit what weirder in Michigan and Ohio, because Ohio just they just voted to legalize marijuana. So they must be very stressed out about the sign-stealing shit. Um God. I mean, I agree with Matt. Garrett Green's going to piss us all off. Um God. This I mean Until this offense can just show me that they can string together consecutive drives of we're better than you football, it's really hard for me to just predict that they'll do this, but I'm going to say OU 38-24. I think that this will be a game where either OU jumps out ahead early and they maybe have to kind of like get one more drive going to really put the game away late or they, or it's a back and forth affair in the first half and then OU finally third time's a charm where they get the defense like sets it up for them in the second half to like really take control that's when they'll do it so i think this will be a game that we'll know fairly quickly or we'll have to hang on to the end but we'll have a little bit of a better taste in our mouth because the offense will um fulfill jeff levy's wishes and fulfill and
1: execute his awesome awesome offense all right that kind of wraps us up for everything have we missed anything do we feel good about that
2: I guess this this kind of went off the rails at some point right? It did. It yeah. Felt
1: like a good one though in my opinion. <laughs> also not on
0: brand for me. I'm sorry. My game of the week, it should have been Duke and Carolina. Let's go Duke. Ah, it sorry. should have been,
1: But what are you going to do? Oh, you going to ha- do. What it happened? just doesn't hit the same. You don't have the coaches, no game. It just doesn't feel the same. Did you do get did get the uh, Stephen King uh of a villain to commit to the basketball team? So Oh, good on that. Uh,
0: yes. Does, basketball season. Uh, I can't wait for basketball season.
3: Does anybody get it's less here. turned on <laughs> about a top 10 team than Ole Miss?
2: They're just, you know, they're yeah. just so uh, boring yeah. to me. Yeah, It's the same shit over and over and over with them and Kiffin. And everybody thinks he's this phenomenal coach. I don't even know if they, I'm not even sure if they, I mean, maybe it's just the thing. he's good, but it's kind of like, I, I, I have never, I have, do not get it at all i do not get the fascination
3: he he says funny things in the media that that yeah. i think a lot of, of that i sure yeah yeah for that's it
0: also i know and right. i know no one gives a shit yet but um oh you basketball did win by 30 uh shout out porter moser's group they look a lot better than they did i know it's against central michigan uh Javen mccollum is going to be very fun to watch Yes. And so his show is uh john Hughley the transfer from pit. So
3: got some b- big man action.
0: Yep. Uh, and I love uh, we interviewed Porter a-, a couple of weeks ago and he, the first thing he said was we're so much more athletic than we were. And I, all I could think about was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know why. I know why. <laughs> Cause a couple of guys aren't there anymore.
3: <laughs> tougher, tougher rebuild Brent on defense with OU football or Porter Moser, just having to pick up wherever long Kruger left it.
1: all right that gets us there yeah in the future we'll be talking more oklahoma basketball men's and women's Uh, matt will be able to give us our little uh uh, weekly updates we did but uh thank you guys so much for listening uh if you haven't uh had a chance to support us and you'd like to go to patreon.com slash through the keyhole we have different tiers one four and five dollars a month they really help us out really helps us do some stuff and if also on the Patreon, you get our weekly podcast, uh, opponent preview, uh, film review, Allen's writings, uh, Brady's writing, uh, just basically everything that we do beyond just this public podcast. I want to shout out to our listeners. Thank you guys so much for you know supporting us and listening to this. This really helps us out as we navigate this world of a, I guess, micro businesses, uh, <laughs> not even a small business at this point in time, but appreciate uh, the love and support on that side of it. Uh, we had over uh, 700 uh, posts. On our patreon so we're really kind of moving forward cranking out content and getting very very close to having 100 subscribers on patreon so thank you uh everyone who's shared this knowledge to everyone who shared what shared the podcast with their friends and family i appreciate that greatly uh, it helps me uh buy dog food uh for my small small miniatures now sir uh, <laughs> but thank you thank you so much thank you for uh, vanessa Alves for being our title sponsor and to spirit shop remember we have west virginia coming up under the lights and we do have uh <laughs> Michigan off to look forward to uh, for the remaining part of the season that's so fucking hilarious to me but we'll sign off as we always do uh, for myself for Brady for Matt for Allen Boomer yeah